Today on Stick to Football, you get a top five Tuesday, our top five reactions from the weekend of college football and NFL play. Also, your draft on draft questions. And guys, we get to bring back one of my favorite segments, $100 Handshakes, which is where we award college football players who had a good weekend. Our good friend Chris Sims knows all about this. Eventually, we just start actually giving these players money when name image likeness passes. <laughs> yeah, you just put that in the mail or Venmo. I'm really looking forward to we'll that. We'll get a little sponsor for it. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, mail a little stick to football uh, envelope, a little stick to football sticker, a couple of bucks in there, and a nice little <laughs> note, and you're all set. I mean, it's not the worst idea we've ever had. You know, I mean, it, we're probably saving the company so much money by not buying everyone beers on Tailgate Tour right now that we can actually afford <laughs> oh to do God, things I didn't like think this. Of that. You know, like last year, Mello and I would be buying like, you know, we would sh- roll in somewhere and buy 300 beers minimum. And, you know, because like Connor would be flying in a lot. So we would, you know, land or, or Mello and I would drive and go, like, OK, let's go hit a Sam's Club or something like that. 300 beers in the cart. People would just be staring at us like, what are they doing? Yeah, the, the yeah. looks that we got strolling through like Walmart with two carts, not just one, <laughs> two carts full of beer. And then all the like the funny old men making the comments like, oh, I'm going to go with you boys. And oh, yeah, like, they Let's love do it, dad jokes. <laughs> right. yeah. Like, hey, you actually I, can. Yeah. yeah. I remember the one time I did make it in the same day as you guys and went. I felt like the when the kids used to do like the Toys R Us run with yeah. a cart in like two minutes. And we all had our own car and we all just picked as much shit as we could fit in there. And uh, let's just say, you know, whoever came to that tailgate the next day had a pretty good experience probably. Yeah. RIP expense reports, you know, just (laughs) (laughs) don't miss doing those, but uh, do miss the tailgate tour. Let's jump right into the news, guys. And you could not watch football on Sunday and not be taken aback, I think, at the number of injuries that happened. I mean, everyone knows, like, I'm a 49ers fan. They play Connors Jets. And you see, like, Jimmy Garoppolo's limping. Well, he leaves the game at halftime. Then Nick Bosa goes down, like leg just collapses. He's out for the year with a torn ACL. The next freaking play, Solomon Thomas goes down. He's out for the year with an ACL. Raheem Mostert goes out of that same game. And it was just like all around the NFL, not just the 49ers, but Saquon Barkley, one of the biggest names in the sport, goes down with a knee injury, gets the x-ray, it's a torn ACL, he's out for the year. Tyrod Taylor has a chest injury during warmups. Justin Herbert has to start for the Los Angeles Chargers against the Kansas City Chiefs. And like Tyrod ended up in the hospital. They still haven't really said what was going on there. Christian McCaffrey, hamstring injury. He's going to be out for several weeks. Drew Locke, going to be out several weeks. Cortland Sutton, going to be out, uh, I believe, the year season. now. Yeah, yeah, season. Season. ACL yeah so it's just like one after another. Devontae Adams hurts his hamstring. Uh, Paris Campbell was carted off with an MCL injury. Malik Hooker tore his ACL. I was, I was saying crazy. it yesterday. Like, I've never seen a Sunday like this before. I know that there. I think there was a Sunday last year where we had a, a lot of guys get hurt. But the star power of the injuries that happened yes. on Sunday was ridiculous. I've never seen anything like that on a Sunday. And I saw someone, I don't know, maybe it was Ian Rappaport. Someone was like, um, oh, Nick Bosa towards ACL, like maybe as big of an injury as Saquon Barkley's. And I wanted to be like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, what? <laughs> Saquon's a star and I love him, but. It's not even close. You no, it's not like you can. Deion Lewis didn't look bad for the Giants after Saquon went out. Like, you can't replace a Nick Bosa. You can't replace a Christian McCaffrey. Like, those are gigantic. Anthony Barr with a peck injury, leaving for the Vikings. So, like, uh, if your team made it out of Sunday uninjured, God bless you. You are so lucky. And they asked me to write a thing, uh, Bleacher Report did Sunday, and it was like, these teams that were 0-1, that won on Sunday, like, did they save their season? And the 49ers were one of those teams. It was like, you would rather lose that game and have Garoppolo, Bosa, Thomas. You'd rather lose that game and have those guys than win that game and and have that many players lost to injury. So the NFL is going to look different. Uh, this season, it's a war of attrition. It is every year. And, you know, it's something I've been saying forever is the best team doesn't always win. It's usually the, the best healthy team that wins the Super Bowl. And so it's going to happen to everyone at some point in the season. But it, it just kind of sucks that, like, the NFL – and its players navigate COVID so beautifully. And like, hey, there are no positive tests. And it's this great news. And it's like, oh, my God, like it, this season's going to happen. And then, boom, 
it feels like half the league has lost to injury. Right? Like every Sunday, I feel like Schefter and those guys are reporting like, oh, the most important number of Sunday is zero. Zero positive COVID tests. And then after all these guys do and everything that they're going through to make sure they can stay on the field, then you get out onto the field and boom, pop an ACL. And I'm sure both of you guys watched the 49ers and Jets game. Is there something to that surface that is just dog shit and people are getting hurt on? Because I didn't watch the game, uh, and I don't watch nearly as many 49ers or Jets games <laughs> as you gentlemen do. Um, I think the surface is sticky. Yeah, it, that is so. the thing. Someone asked me that. It was like, what's wrong with the surface? It was like, well, it's just new. It doesn't and, give. Right. Unfortunately, so, yeah. the Niners have no, to play there again Sunday. That, yeah, that's right? the problem with it yeah. all, right? Is that the Niners are the, the visiting team. Like, the Jets aren't playing their back-to-back. The Jets and Giants are alternating in these weeks, but the Niners are not. They are the team that plays their back-to-back. They just watched, you know, I would say their franchise player, uh, you know, go down for the year. And what what is awful with these injuries, besides the obvious, is that, you know, we kind of seen it with Bradley Chubb. Like, if you get hurt right now, this isn't July, this isn't August, this isn't OTAs. This could impact the first quarter of your next season because you, your guy might not be ready or he might be getting eased in or he might not be up to par of what he once was. So these are injuries that can be, you know, longer than just the rest of the year. That That's what's so concerning. So it's, it's awful to see. Um, you know, it's the turf cleared, whatever regulations are set by the NFL. I'm not going to tell you I'm, I'm a turf expert. Nope. You know, it's any athlete can tell you they would rather play on grass in in terms of injuries and, and just about every aspect of it, but it's new turf and new turf does not give as much. And it's awful to be one of the first teams that plays on that turf. And it it was awful for the 49ers on Sunday. Yeah, it really was. And it does make you wonder, like the NFL is this massive multi-billion dollar industry and playing surfaces are a problem at multiple stadiums like this isn't just a MetLife issue you know there's so many stadiums where you hear players complain I would love to see them like every place has a grass surface like let's just go back to that but I don't think it'll happen Not I mean, was there ever a reason like I don't know. I can't a imagine. good reason. Right. Not like, a, you know what I mean? Not like a, a aesthetics thing or not a like, hey, we think these guys are, you know, one mile per hour faster on this kind of turf that right. we put on. Like, is there a real good reason? I know they always sell it as like it's so much cheaper to take care of. Uh, but again, the NFL doesn't need to like push pennies or anything so, like that. Like they're fine on money. Only six stadiums still have natural grass as of last season. None of anything changed. Arrowhead. Levi Stadium, Soldier Field, Heinz Field, the Cardinal Stadium, and Lambeau Field. Yeah, and the Raiders last night, they have grass oh, the in their one, yeah. stadium too. So which, if I might as well, actually. Yeah. So I would think if you can put grass in a building in the desert and it grow, what's stopping everyone else? Yeah, there's there's absolutely no reason uh, for that at all. Uh, I do want to talk about a couple quarterbacks before we get to our $100 handshake because it's still early, right? It's week three now of the NFL season, but... We live in a society, microwave society. We want everything right now. And that includes our analysis. And so it feels like this is going to be a weekly conversation, guys, analyzing quarterback situations. Drew Brees looked terrible on Monday night. We're going to talk about that in our top five takeaways. But some quarterbacks like Mitch Trubisky and Gardner Minshew are maybe changing the story about themselves or at least building new chapters in that story. For Gardner Minshew, even at a loss this past week, There's still like two bad plays a game from him, but more than not, it's really solid play. For Mitchell Trubisky, the Bears are 2-0 right now, which I don't think anyone saw coming, and Trubisky uh, has played very well the last six quarters. I think the first two quarters of week one, a little rough. Last six quarters have been very, very good, and then I will say on the other side of that, we continue to have you know the struggles of Sam Darnold, the struggles of Daniel Jones, who turned the ball over again on Sunday. But for Gardner Minshew and Mitch Trubisky, two places where I think we were saying, like, hey, they might be in the quarterback market. They might not be in the quarterback market. And I think with Trubisky specifically, he's played some dog shit secondaries in the (laughs) Lions and the Giants. That's not going to get any better in week three when he plays the Falcons and then week four, the Colts. So we could be looking at, you know, four weeks into the season where we're saying, 
Yeah, the, the Bears are actually playing really good. I don't think that this is like his coming out party in year four. I think that he just, he kind of is who he is. When he looks good, it looks average. When he looks bad, it looks absolutely terrible. But I'm not ready to change the narrative on the Mitch Trubisky story of him being a good quarterback. I do think that it sucks that he's compared to his draft class with Mahomes and Watson. I mean, it's not his fault that the NFL took him ahead of those guys, but he's always going to be that player that has to live up to it. I mean, we even talked about it, the Trubisky Bowl, when the Texans and the Chiefs played. So it sucks, but I think that he just, he is who he is. He's an average quarterback in the NFL that had second overall pick hype, and he's just not going to be able to live up to it. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of the same way. You know, it's nice that they're 2-0. Uh, they've put together a pretty decent football roster there. I want to give a shout-out to Jalen Johnson, a guy that we really liked oh, and yeah. had on this show. He's balling right now. Those corners look really, really good. So, you know, good for Trubisky for, for not losing them games right now. That's, you know, that Bears team, that might be what they need from him this year. Do I think he's their franchise quarterback of the future? I'd be really surprised if he fully turned this around, and, and I think that defense looks really good. For Gardner, this is a completely different story for me. I think Gardner is making it to the point where he's at least making you sit there and go, this team can't look for another quarterback right now. This guy exceeds expectations every time they're placed in front of him or every time there's doubts about him. I don't even think that offense is that good, and he's still finding a way for them to be highly efficient. So with Gardner, with Mitch, I sit there and go, man, like when is – you know, he going to come back down to earth or, or when is the team not going to be able to carry him with Gardner? I sit there and go, man, what would this team look like if they go and get him some help this offseason? I'm a believer right now. I really am. And before Giants fans chime in, I know Trubisky and Gardner Mishu both threw two picks this last weekend. I, I know because they're going to be like, what? You're going to call it Daniel Jones for the turnovers. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. But with, with Daniel Jones, it's it is a systematic problem with his play and with Trubisky. I, I do believe, guys, that this is more so who they're playing than how he's playing. And that's something that will just play out over the course of the season. You know, when they have to play the Packers, when they have to play the Vikings, are we going to see that change? Which, by the way, Kirk Cousins looks terrible right now, too. Like It's telling to me how many quarterbacks look bad right now. And I, I think to some extent we can blame that on no preseason, no training camp. People just aren't in sync. But then that's there are too. other quarterbacks who are like just cooking right now. So it's like... Man, like how much of it, you know, is on the lack of training camp and preseason and how much of it is just who's good, who's bad this year? Because it does feel somewhat cyclical. Yeah, and even with Minshew, kind of like Connor was saying too, but this guy played Tennessee. That is a good defense. Very, yeah. So even with the Bears, it's like, okay, not in love with the secondaries you've played. The Titans have a good defense. They've got a good pass rush. They've got a good secondary. For Minshew, he gets Miami next week and then Cincinnati, and then Houston, he could be cooking pretty well into the season where we're looking at, uh, like somebody even said in our Draft on Draft last episode, what if they do win five or six games? And I think that's a good possibility with the record, sorry, the schedule they have coming up where you look at Gardner Minshew and you say, we might need to give this guy at least another year or two because he is playing very well after two weeks of the season. I know it's early, but the guy is playing very well. And that is when you draft Penny Sewell, if that is what happens. Exactly, right? Or, you know, you go get, if you want to get crazy, I know they have some guys sitting free agency, you get Jamar Chase. Like, get this guy some help because, you know, they've, they've shipped out players. They've, you know, there's been all kinds of nonsense there, and he's been nothing but awesome. Everyone rallies around him. It seems like every time they're down in the game, he has the energy to bring them back. I mean, I'm all aboard. I really am. I'm just, it's very impressive what he's done. And I, I, you know, I keep sitting here and saying, hey, be careful falling into week two traps, right? We see this every single year of just phony storylines. But this one for me, I think Gardner Minshew is just, this is who he's been his whole life, right? He's just a fighter and he's, he's turned into a real good player. Yeah, he really has. All right, let's get to those $100 handshakes. Stock up players, week two of college football. Uh, I'm going to start with a player who did not play last year, but has very much impressed me. I like him as a draft prospect as well. That's Rashad Weaver from Pitt. Uh, He's probably going to be listed for most of us as a tweener. Is he a D end? Is he a D tackle? He's 6'5", 270. So it's like, man, man, I don't know if I know what this guy is, but, and he's also a player that, um, missed some games because of COVID, uh, contact tracing or, or they're not saying, right. If he's, if he's 
positive or not, but against Louisville, against a good Louisville team, he definitely showed up. Two sacks, three tackles for a loss. He was just all over the field for them. It's a good pit defense. We talk about Paris Ford, uh, Patrick Jones on the other side, but Rashad Weaver is my guy. Uh, really a big fan of his. He's getting a $100 handshake for me. And for me, I'm going to go with the guy down in Miami. Uh, there's something about those Miami backs. Ever since guys like Clinton Portis and Frank Gore were there 100 years ago, now that I think they have another one with Cameron Harris. I really like the way he played. Week one comes out against UAB. Has a really solid performance. But you kind of look at it and you say, okay, that's UAB. Rush for 134 yards in week one. Comes back in the second game against Louisville. Rushes for 134 yards again. This time on just nine carries. He's a stock up guy for me. Getting that $100 handshake from me. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to what he can do once he plays some real ACC opponents after this week at Florida State. And I'm staying down in Miami as well. This was obviously probably the game to watch. Everybody had this one circled. I'm going with Jalen Phillips, the edge pass rusher for the Hurricanes, the transfer from UCLA. There was a time where this guy was a super recruit, and he got to UCLA, and he had some big-time flashes, and things just didn't work out for him. And I think he needed to get himself together off the field, takes the year off, you know, obviously after transferring to Miami, and he was unblockable against Louisville. And this is a unit that probably took a little bit of a punch in the mouth when Gregory Rousseau opted out right before the season. You have Roche, another transfer down there who, you know, played very well as well. They have good players on this group, but I think they thought they could have been the best in the country with Rousseau. And Phillips just has taken over where he looks like the guy that there was a time as a recruit. People thought this really was the next Miles Garrett. That's the kind of build he has, you know, 6'5", 265, explosive, a really good pass rusher. Sure, it might not show up in the box score, but this guy was disruptive the entire game. And if he really, really has put it together finally and keeps up that production, we're going to be talking about his name and what I think is a pretty weak edge class right now, it needs a Jalen Phillips to break out. And this is a good start. Yeah, it is a good start for someone who has like, it's one of those names where like two or three years ago, you're like, oh yeah, he's on the, he's got to be on the radar. And then he completely falls off. So it's good to see him bounce back. My second hundred dollar handshake guys. We talk so much about Trevor Lawrence who tore up Citadel. My God, we talk about Trey Lance. We talk about Justin Fields. And then it's like, hey, who's that number four quarterback? And I know we're all very excited to finally see Kyle Trask at Florida get on the field, see his development. But I want to throw another name into the mix. And last week against Austin P, terrible school, so let's not overreact to that. But last week, I'm very intrigued by Desmond Ritter, the quarterback at Cincinnati. Six foot four, 215 pounds. He can get it done through the air. The arm strength is very good. He can get it done on the ground as well. Now, would love to see him play someone a little bit better than Austin P. That schedule for them this year is not going to be uh, exactly ideal. But I do think that this is an intriguing quarterback prospect to keep an eye on. I believe he's a redshirt junior. He's at least a junior, maybe a yep. redshirt junior. But I am a Desmond Ritter fan, and I'm at least putting him out there as someone that we got to watch continuing going forward because I don't feel like that that number four quarterback spot is defined yet, and a player like this has a chance to rise. I would agree with that, and I, I really like Kyle Trask, and I don't think anybody's going to replace him, but I, I do think that there are some other guys that we are going to have to look at. I mean, you see it every year. Quarterbacks pop up. They have a big year. The draft stock improves. Uh, so I like the Ritter pick at Cincinnati. I really like what they're doing at that program, really building it. I, I His name escapes me. Is it Fickle? That's yeah, the head Luke coach Fickle. there. Yeah. Uh, that dude, if he stays around for a while, Cincinnati could be good. He might be moving on to a bigger job, though. But for me, my next $100 handshake – I'm going with Marlon Williams, senior receiver from the defending national champions from a couple years ago, UCF. I really liked what he did on Saturday. Came out, had 10 catches, two touchdowns, 154 yards. He's hmm. a stock-up guy. Got his name on my radar. Looked him up, had 700 catches last year. I like this performance. A big, bulky receiver. Kind of looks like a, a Sammy Watkins type guy. Around six foot, 215. Moves very well. Had a great game. He's getting a $100 bill from me. I'm sticking with the Miami-Louisville game here, and I'm going with Tutu Atwell. Somebody that we had some expectations for coming into the season. I mean, listen, he, he's got the Hollywood Brown build, right? He's 5'9", 165. This is a small player on the football field. 
but he's got the speed where it doesn't matter. And you see it this weekend. He had his best game, you know, the second game of the year, but definitely his better game. Eight catches, 114, two touchdowns. He stretches the field, and he's dangerous after the catch. And do I think he'll get the opportunity to explode in this offense this year? Well, he's off to a really good start. I mean, he really is. I think he'll catch 10 touchdowns. I think this is the kind of players that the league is going to look for on day two of the draft. Somebody that can stretch the field in that K.J. Hamler kind of mold. So for 2-2 Atwell... I think the days of us saying, hey, he's too small, they're gone now. The yeah. league protects these guys. These guys protect their bodies. They're not taking those big shots. They're protected by the rules. I think he could be a really effective player at the next level. So it's good to see him come hot out of the gate. Yeah, I'm a big fan of his. Uh, so I'm excited for that. Uh, you guys, I said, you know, Cincinnati's schedule is not that great. And then I was like, wait, I, they play Army this weekend. So <laughs> you want to see, you want to see Desmond Ritter get tested a little bit? They play That's Army. Good, good game. 2.30 on Saturday. That Cincinnati secondary against the Army offense will be very intriguing as well because they've got some really good hard-hitting safeties mm-hmm. that they could be interesting against Army. Uh, I will be definitely tuning in for that one. Let us know who your $100 handshakes are. You can tweet us at stick to football. Also, good time to leave that Apple podcast review. Let's take a break. We'll be back with our Top 5 Tuesdays. It's time for Top 5 Tuesdays, where you get our Top 5 reactions from the weekend of college football and the NFL. Guys, I want to start right here. I was so wrong about this team that I want to own this. The Los Angeles Rams are very, very good. And I know it's like, oh, it's only two weeks. Or, oh, they haven't played anybody. I think they have, number one. But I just love the way they're playing. They're playing aggressive football again. I I actually think that Sean McVay kind of cleaning house and, and switching things over, getting new coordinators in there, I think it worked. And now we're seeing like Jalen Ramsey playing comfortably. We're seeing Aaron Donald continue to be dominant, but also the emergence of players like Micah Kaiser, the emergence of players like Jordan Fuller is starting for them. That's how good this defense is playing right now. I, I think they are. The NFC West has one loss, and that was the 49ers to the Cardinals. The only loss in that division right now. It's going to be a tough, tough schedule for the Rams, but I do like what they've done. They get the Bills this week in Buffalo, so I think we'll know a little bit more about the Rams. But, guys, I think they're for real. And that was the team I predicted to finish last in that division. Same. Now, granted, we all said that's a very good division, so it's not like I expected them to be bad. But I'm right there with you. They are playing much better than I thought they were. Might be even the second-best team in that division again right behind Seattle. But they are definitely for real. Uh, for me, my top takeaway from this weekend, it doesn't matter what your quads look like. You can st- still tear an ACL seeing guys like Saquon and Bosa. It's like, why would I ever work out if I'm just going to still get hurt? And because I'm also lazy and don't want to, but a terrible situation doesn't matter if you're built like a Greek God, you can still get injured in the NFL. All right. And my first top five takeaway here is going to be a little bit of a tip of the cap to two things that have surprised me early in this year. The first one, Justin Herbert, his debut, I thought he was phenomenal and especially the circumstance Uh, that he had to deal with where he's being told he's starting basically at kickoff is not easy for any rookie quarterback. He's somebody that it just looked like he peaked at some point at Oregon. And then the senior year, I didn't really see him get a lot better. The inconsistency scared me, but if that's the player he's going to be at the NFL, that is a great sign for the chargers. He's got to be consistent. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting when defenses are prepared to play him, But that's as good of a start as you can ask for Justin Herbert. So tip of the cap to a player that I definitely doubted in the draft process, off to an awesome start. And another thing this summer that I was very skeptical of is the Raiders offense. And that's because I'm just not a big Derek Carr believer. But they have built a power running football team to an extent where this offensive line beats you up in the trenches. Josh Jacobs might be the best running back in football, and I truly mean that. And Darren Waller is turning into this Travis Kelsey, George Kittle X factor in the middle of the field where even through how average of a player Carr can be, this offense can really carry this football team. I think it's going to their defense is going to be a lot of pressure on that secondary, a young secondary at times. Uh, But these are the two early things in the season that I feel wrong about. That was exciting to see. Did anyone else think Jonathan Abrams was dead for about two minutes last night? He wasn't moving. Yes, I did. So, like, my girlfriend and I are sitting there watching the game, and she was telling me about something. I wasn't listening very well. 
And, um, and I was like, oh my God. And my, my son sitting between us and he's like, oh my God. And she's like, what, what? And Emmett's like, I think that player died. And I was like, he might not be wrong. Like when he slid and his head hits the side of the boom lift for the camera, it looked absolutely terrible. This is not one of my top five takeaways, but then for him to just pop up, I text Mello. It was his Rod Tidwell moment. Like, no, no. Let me stay here. Thank God he's okay because it looked terrible. But I definitely thought, oh, this might be this might be bad. This could be a, a Ryan Shazier type moment. Seeing his well, head, yeah, hit he that wasn't cart. moving at all, and it didn't I didn't even look like he was breathing. Did it knock him unconscious? And then he woke up and was like, oh, gotta get to the sideline. Like I don't know what happened. I don't <laughs> want to joke about players getting injured, but apparently he wasn't injured. But he laid there motionless. It kind of scared me for a little bit too. You never want to see that happen, especially to a guy like him injured last year. Why the hell is that cart there, though? Don't know. Like, move that I fucker out of the way that. in an <laughs> empty fucking stadium. Like you have all the room in the world to operate. Nope, let's put this well, cart right here. And there's so many plays at the pylon like that. Diving plays right. at the pylon. Like, if you're in one spot, like, if it's at the... I mean, there's the sidelines there, but, like, you just can't have it at the pylon. pylon. There's so many diving plays there. It's just mind-blowing. Okay, on to my second takeaway. Josh Allen is a whole lot of fun. And he's playing, I think, so much better than... Like, I'm a big Josh Allen fan. He's playing way above my expectations. He's been awesome. He's completing 70% of his passes. He leads the league in passing yards. And has not thrown an interception. And he's, like, continuing to be, like, fun as a runner. Uh, 18 rushes for 75 yards and a touchdown. The Bills right now are one of those teams where it's like, oh, what game are you going to watch? I can't wait for them to play a good team so that, like, next week where they play the Bears, we could be like, thank God I get to watch this team play because they are so much fun the way that they're going deep to Stephon Diggs, going deep to John Brown, running it with Zach Moss. Like, I, I love the way the Bills are playing, and I think that coaching staff deserves a lot of credit for building a scheme that fits Josh, but he deserves a lot of credit for continuing to work and get better. So maybe it's a week two of a reaction, but... Man, Josh Allen is playing like one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. I mean, it is week two, and you kind of get those overreactions. But I do like the way that Josh Allen is playing. I wasn't as big of a fan of him as you were. Uh, we all obviously. remember. I don't know that anyone was. He might have <laughs> led that hype train. Uh, but for me, how about this guy, C.J. Henderson? I feel like I kind of led his hype train. I was very early on him. So I'm going to pat myself on the back because he looks like a shutdown corner very early in the season, week two. But he's been so good. And I remember when people tweeted out and were saying like, oh, yeah, C.J. Henderson, duh, he can cover. He has the ball skills, but the guy can't tackle. Ha, who the fuck cares now? He's shutting <laughs> people down as a rookie corner, uh, and I'm going to live in this moment for a little bit. So good job, Mello, calling us out, letting everybody know that C.J. Henderson's a stud. Here's my overreaction of the Takeaway Tuesdays right now, and these decisions are not easy to make, but after watching Monday Night Football, the Saints should have started the Teddy Bridgewater era this year, is my takeaway. I think when you look at it, uh, giving Taysom Hill money, I, I don't even know what was going on there. I mean, bringing in Jameis on a one-year flyer backup deal, that's fine. It just looks like it's starting to get to the end for Drew Brees, and I think they had the perfect successor in Teddy Bridgewater to run this offense. And, and I just look at it and go, man, this is a really good Saints team. But are they going to be in trouble because of Breeze right now? And it looks like the answer is yes. So it's frustrating that, you know, Teddy wanted to be there. I know it's not easy moving on from a legend. That decision would have been difficult for everybody. The Patriots just went through it with Tom Brady. But I watch this Saints team, and every single time I sit there and go, man, what would they be with Teddy Bridgewater, not just this year, but having a guy for the next four to five years. Yep. And that leads right to my next takeaway. Drew Brees is shot, guys. I really think it's time. Like, I feel like we've seen it over the last few postseasons where his arm was wore out. And I, so I do want to say this. I think we need to give Michael Thomas a hell of a lot more credit than people do because look how I bad agree. Brees was without him. And all these fucking people who are like, Mike can only run slants. No, Drew can only throw slants. <laughs> like, no, it's not that Michael Thomas can't run down the goddamn field. It's that your quarterback can't throw it that far. So maybe delete some fucking tweets, all these people who are always like, oh, Mike, Michael Thomas isn't that good. Uh, are you sure about that? Because Drew Brees didn't look like this with 
whomever else was there before. Like, he has played his best football with Michael Thomas as receiver. So let's put a little respect on that guy's name. But I do think, I think Brees is shot. And I agree, Connor. Whether it's they should have started the Teddy era, they should have signed Cam Newton, they should have done something because Squints Winston ain't the guy. And well, Taysom Hill is neither. That's what I was going to ask. Like, do you guys think that there's a situation where we could see Jameis Winston starting games for the Saints this year? Yes. I would No, I so don't. You don't. I think Man. they're scared. I think they're scared to bench Breeze. I think that. So, my thing here is it could be a parallel to that Peyton Manning last year in Denver, where it was just like, we got to try something else. This is a win now team. And eventually he got back on the field. But, like, remember, Brock Osweiler got on the field for them and was playing football. For the Denver Broncos, which is why he got that huge contract in Houston. So I don't think Jameis is the answer. I don't think he's any good, but I wouldn't be surprised if at some point Sean Payton's like, listen, we got to switch this thing up because Bree's arm looks shot. Now, maybe because Sean has as much job security as anyone in the NFL, they don't have to rush that. But I do think, and I'm writing about it, the article will probably come out Tuesday or Wednesday, that this is a team that they have to go all in on this quarterback class. So that's my takeaway. But how, though? They're going to be They're too gonna have good. They're going to have to trade. Like when they traded up for mm. Marcus Davenport, you know, it was like, oh, okay, here's a future one for a development edge prospect. Obviously, it's going to cost more than that to get in the top 10. But like they wanted to trade up for Mahomes. They entertained trading up for Burrow. They just knew they were too good and couldn't get to number one. So I do wonder, like, if we see a Justin Fields, like a little bit of a drop or a Trey Lance, a little bit of a drop because he's not going to play this year. If they're like, you know what? We could probably get to eight or nine and get a quarterback. Yeah, depending on what their record is, too. I mean, it didn't look great last night. The Raiders did look very good, though. Yeah. Uh, Connor's right. Hat tip to those guys because they did look a lot better than I thought they would. Uh, but how about this next guy? I'll stick with quarterbacks. It's time to pay Dak. Like, if you're Jerry Jones, that price tag is just skyrocketing up. Threw for 400 yards rushed for three touchdowns in one game, led his team back against the Falcons. It's time to start cutting paychecks. I don't know if his agent wants to negotiate during the season, but I would do it because I think that the Cowboys could be a Super Bowl favorite. I think that Dak Prescott could be in the MVP discussion at least, maybe not win it because there's some other guys out there, but he's playing very, very well right now. And if I'm the Cowboys, I'm trying to get in before he takes me to an NFC championship game. Melo, I don't know how much time you spend on Twitter during games, but so it's funny because during the first half when the Cowboys were losing, people were like, yep. oh, Dak should have took a deal before the season because he's playing terribly. And then it's like, you fucking people, like just <laughs> wait until the game's <laughs> over to fire off your tweets. It's incredible the reactions that a player that as we do reactions today. <laughs> up, yeah. yeah, up and down, up and down. Well, speaking of those reactions for those Dallas Cowboys, one of the guys that's got to be in the offensive rookie of the year conversation already is CD Lamb. Now, we haven't had a wide receiver win it uh, since Odell Beckham in 2014, and before that was Percy Harvin in 2009. So, wow. wide receivers don't really win this award, but. I think it's going to be a two-man race by the end of the year with C.D. Lamb and Jonathan Taylor. And, man, the Colts might give Jonathan Taylor 9,000 touches by the end of the year. But I think it's exciting watching these two. And I just don't care about the quarterbacks in this race. Like, I like Joe Burrow. It's not happening this year. That team needs time. Justin Herbert, great debut. But, shit, they might be going back to Tyrod Taylor for God only knows why. Tua, I mean, I don't think they feel comfortable playing in behind that offensive line, and and they like riding with Fitz. It's going to be a little while probably before we see Tua barring an injury. So it's kind of exciting to me to have a skill player, like a running back wide receiver battle, and I'm sure there's more names people want to throw into the – Throw into the ring here, but I just love watching Jonathan Taylor and C.D. Lamb each week. Yeah, I do too, and I want to go back to last year's offensive rookie of the year, Kyler Murray. This man is dangerous. They are 2-0, and they've played the 49ers and Washington arguably two of the best defensive lines in football and he's getting it done yes he's been sacked five times that's actually a much better pace than we saw from him last year like I think if you come out of this year and he's like yeah I got sacked 35 times they feel really really good about that he's just continuing to get better and I think the game's slowing down for him this offense is a lot of fun and they're still gelling as I think we'll even see to where it feels like they're force feeding new Hopkins a little bit I think we'll see that open up more and get guys like Christian Kirk involved, get Kenyon Drake more involved in the passing game. The Cardinals are for real, guys. Uh, 2-0, and they have Detroit, Carolina, and the New York Jets the next three games. The Arizona Cardinals could be 5-0 and to start the season. Yeah, very easily, and I think he's playing great, too. I'm going to keep with the great, how about like a goat theme here? I think there are two elite 
kickers in the NFL, and they've both played for some of my favorite teams. Justin Tucker is the greatest kicker I've ever seen, but I think Harrison Buckter has put his name in the hat as being just an ass kicker at kicker as well, hitting the 50-yard field goals that he did the other day. They, they tried icing him a couple times. There are some penalties. The two 58-yarders won to win the game. Uh, I said it at our fantasy draft when I drafted this guy, but there are two elite kickers in the NFL, and he's one of them. <laughs> Oh my God! He, it felt like he could have just done that all day. Yeah, like, I think just he could have reset it, kick it again, reset when it, he kick it again. Walked off. I don't know if you saw this, Connor, but it, like when he made the third one, he just walked off before it went yes. through. Like He's Steph like, Curry made it. Just, yep. I'm done. I know it's in. Amazing. It felt like a three point shooter that turns around and walks back to play defense. Yep. It, it was truly fun to watch, considering how horrendous kicking usually is it's nice to see somebody that's just a just a baller out there that's confident and like obviously the team you see them tweeting about him after the game like really rallies around that so all right my fourth one here russ is gonna win the mvp and i'm not saying that and maybe he is i mean i usually fight for this that russ is the best player in the nfl he might be this year we'll see i mean you still have pat doing pat things kyler is very well could be this year's Lamar Jackson. Speaking of Lamar Jackson, he's only getting better. He's still Lamar the Jackson. Reason, the reason why I think Russ is going to win the MVP is because, one, he's amazing. Two, his defense is going to make him win the MVP. They need him to score every single drive. I mean, look at these two games, guys. He's got nine passing touchdowns through two games. He's completing over 82% of his passes. I mean, he's just out there throwing the ball down the field. They're letting him throw the ball finally. I just look at the Seattle team, and they're a good team, but they have no pass rush up front, and the secondary struggled against New England, but Russ responds every time. And I think we're going to look at the end of the year and go, man, Russ threw 38 touchdowns and and four picks. I, I see that kind of stat line. I really think, we're, and I hope it's Kyler because I got Kyler odds at plus forty four hundred. But man, I think Russ's defense is going to really force it on him, and that's good. Good for him; he deserves it. He does. I also think that I, was it Peter King, maybe who started it, who was like, "Did you guys know Russell Wilson's never had an MVP vote?" And I, I do understand like football is different than baseball. You don't tier guys. You know, it's like here's my top five. It votes. makes some sense, right? But I do think that that will help. You know, because it's like, okay, it's his time. Like, oh, yeah. Pat got one. Lamar got last year. Barring someone just being a statistical god, I think it'll be like, you know what? It's his time. He deserves it, especially if they win the West, which looks like they have a good shot at it. Last top five takeaway for me, the New York Jets and the Detroit Lions need to just admit that they messed up, fire their coaches, guys, and get a jump on the hiring cycle because I think the hiring cycle this year is going to be crazy with restrictions due to COVID and traveling and the college football season lasting a little bit longer, at least the regular season. I think the hiring cycle is going to be wild. If you're the Jets, you should know by now that Adam Gase is not the guy. And by the way, I was wrong about this. I just want to, I was wrong about this. Uh, also, if you're the Lions, you should know that Matt Patricia is not the guy. And I think that were Sam Darnold and Matthew Stafford, if they had like any ego at all, they would they would speak about this, but they're both such good guys that they won't do it because like they they're just not gonna do that. Were they you know was this a different quarterback? If Jay Cutler were there, my God, the stories we would hear. But I, I do I think it's time. Like even if you don't fire them after week two, because that's a long season for an interim head coach. You your owner right now needs to put together a committee to start looking for the next head coach or find someone that you trust, enable someone, and for the Lions. I think you need a new general manager too, not just That's a new head problem. coach. You need a new general manager. I mean, you can like I don't know if you can run down to Kansas City and try to get Mike Berganzi and Eric Bieniemy as a package deal. I don't know if Lewis Riddick and Josh McDaniels are still trying to scheme a thing together. You might want to stay away from New England, being the Lions and not having a lot of luck there. But they, in Detroit, you got to start at the top there, and it's so sad that Matthew Stafford has never had a good team around him. Yeah, I think so, too. And when you talk about, you know, the Jets and the Lions, I think Atlanta could be a sneaky team looking to make a coaching yeah, change fired him last year early. And that's going to be a great landing spot. Like if you're Eric Bieniemy, I think that we can all agree he's probably the top candidate to be a head coach next year. If you're telling me I can go to the Jets, the Lions or the Falcons. Yeah, it's going to be the Falcons, and yep. I'm not thinking about it at all. Uh, I'll take this one to the college football world, though, fellas. I don't know how you feel, but thank God. 
the SEC is back because the weekend of football that we had on Saturday was terrible. Like everybody, I feel like knows me well enough now. I live for college football Saturdays. That fucking sucked last week. <laughs> so thank God that the Big 12 was like, eh, we're not going to take a bye week this week. We're coming back. The SEC is going to play. ACC opponents are playing. We don't have to watch Clemson versus the Citadel again. I'm just very glad that the SEC is back and that we're going to get real football on Saturday. I'm with you on that, man. It's It's been tough, honestly. Like You open the slate and you're like, ugh. And then yep. you turn on the games and you're like, oh, this sucks. <laughs> right? Like, it's just honest. Like, and we watch them because it's, it's part of our job and we love college football and we love the draft. But like, I mean, holy shit, man. Like, we need some, we need all the conferences back playing, but the SEC will give it a lot of, a lot of life. So speaking of those awful college football games, I want to give some love. My final takeaway here. Uh, I didn't put it in the stock up because I had some other players, but Tulsa cornerback Allie Green, this guy is six foot three. He plays right in your face at the line of scrimmage. He matched up against Tylen Wallace, had some wins, had some losses. That's how life is going to go against Tylen Wallace. But man, I did not have him on my preseason cornerback list, and he he's going to get some attention from the Senior Bowl. I think if he plays in big matchups like that, when you're that long at corner. And that fearless at corner where you're just going to line up, you know, a foot away from somebody at the line of scrimmage that's a damn good player. Tulsa cornerback Allie Green, remember the name. All right, there they are. Our top five takeaways. Let's take a break. We come back. Your draft on draft questions. All right, draft on draft time. And I, I told the boys during the break, I have a draft on draft question that I did not put in our rundown because sometimes I like to get your honest reactions. So for as long as I can remember, I wake up on Saturdays. I watch college game day. That's what I do. You you turn ESPN on, boom. You watch college game day. Even when we're on the road, like, okay, watching game day. Like, we'll go to each other's hotel rooms, watch it, get ready for the day of games. But recently, I have found myself watching, because I have two TVs in my basement. So I've been watching or listening to... Humble break. Yeah, a little bit of humble break. uh, The Big Noon Kickoff, Fox's pregame show. And here's my hot take. Big Noon Kickoff is better. It's in studio, but you get Urban Meyer, you get uh, Matt Leinart, Reggie Bush. I'm not the biggest Brady Quinn fan. Uh, I don't know who their host is, but like I think the substance of the show is better. It's not gimmicky. So if you like, and this isn't me pushing for either show because they both have their merits, but like if you want football analysis, like if you want to know about the games and the matchups, Big Noon Kickoff's better. If you want to watch, you know, David Pollock try to laugh at Pat McAfee and Lee Corso, and like if you like the gimmicks, then game day's much better. But for I think for real football fans, like Big Noon Kickoff might be what we've wanted game day to be. Yeah, I think obviously game so, day. Sorry, is my like, question: Which one do you like better? That right. Was question. Yep, yeah. I got it. Yep. <laughs> uh, I think that game day is always going to be like the top. Like it's just tradition at this point, almost. Like hearing Big and Rich sing that god awful song to start me out at eight a.m. on a Saturday. Like, I'm going to listen to it and I'm going to watch it. I might not like it, but it's going to be on the TV. But I do like Big Noon Kickoff. I've I've switched over a couple times. Uh, I only have one TV because I guess I'm a poor. But <laughs> I, I found myself switching over to the Fox broadcast a couple times. And I do really like Urban Meyer. Like I know that he's done some shit things and say what you want about him. But I do think that he's really good on TV. And I think having Reggie Bush and Matt Leinert both there, I like both of them a lot too. You're right. There's the host there and Brady Quinn as well. Don't care too much for those guys, but it is kind of up in the air. And it, like with game day, probably held on to Corso for a little too long. And I don't love all the gimmicks. I like the Tom Rinaldi. Like, yes, you get the one piece that's like, all right, you're pulling in my heartstrings here. I like that. Now let's go back to football. I just don't know if you can replace like the pick them with Lee Corso at the end and the headgear. But even the, you know this year, it's a little different. It is tough. It's tougher than I expected it to be. I'm still a game day guy. I think the energy is better, and I think the talent is way better. But I do agree that the big noon kickoff, in a sense, Matt, is a better produced product, right? Like, if you're a football fan, I could listen to Urban talk for three hours, by the way. Like, I think he is phenomenal. I really like Reggie. I agree with you, and I won't, like, you know, feed a fed horse here. I do not like Brady Quinn at all. And it's like, and maybe it's just a preference. And like, you got to realize as a kid, like I watched Notre Dame in my household. Like, it's like Brady Quinn was great. Notre Dame football player as an analyst though. Like 
it just doesn't really do a lot for me. So it's and I look at the talent side that game day has. I mean, that that's as good as it gets, right? But I do think at times, and it's tough this year. Of course it's tough this year because of what's going on. But usually game day has great energy. Sometimes I think they they started to cater a little bit too much. Like they just tried to do things and, and got away from the football side. And some people like those things. But I, I do agree that the stories are great. Uh, it's tough. I'm curious. I want to see it next year when it's like it's almost an even playing field and to see if the big noon kickoff with a little bit of time to catch up. Uh, maybe they add another talent to the mix or or you know a different element to the show. But it's it's at least a conversation, and I don't think that's something a lot of people expected. Yeah, at all. And now Sunday games or uh, pregames, all bad. There's not a good one. There's so, not a good nope, one. Nope, not all. a good one. Uh, it's just it, there's it's college awful. football is good. NFL, nope. Tune in at noon or one if you're on the East Coast. All right, your guys' questions now. Jacob DeLong asks. Is Darren Waller the third best tight end behind Kelsey and Kittle? His last two seasons justify it. Uh, Jacob, I like I could argue for Zach Ertz or yeah, that's about it. Uh, I think Darren Waller's <laughs> up there, and I even think that the way that the Eagles have kind of looked at Ertz and been like, you know what, Dallas Goddard might be as good. And so I, I love the way Darren Waller plays. I actually I love this story as well. And, and he's a player that I, I really liked coming out of college because it's like it's just hey, this is big receiver. He's just an athlete. Let's get him on the field. Uh, the, the Raiders are doing it right. And he, I mean, we saw Monday Night Football. He's really, really tough to stop. Yeah, I, I think that he is the third best tight end. And I, I picked him up on a lot of my fantasy teams because I think his production is going to be there. But Travis Kelsey and George Kittle do get a lot more attention. And I do think that they're one and two tight end. However you have it stacked, it's, it's good enough for me. But for Waller, I do love the story. I love his production. Went off last night. I even saw uh, our guy Tony Jefferson tweeting today. Like, this guy used to go off in practice, for like 250 every practice, and they knew he was going to be special. He just couldn't get his off-field stuff right. Now that he does have it right, he looks like an elite tight end in this uh, day and age. The answer to Jacob's question for me is is yes, quite simply. I, I mean, he is the third best tight end in football. Uh, you know, a little bit of a late bloomer because of obviously the well-known, well-documented off-the-field stuff. But if you're just talking about on the field of what this guy is doing and impact week to week right now, he's the third best tight end. And it's going to be interesting to see if he can give these guys a run for their money at some point, too. Yeah, I, it's fun to watch. And uh, I really thought Evan Ingram would would break out and it just hasn't happened. I think some of that can, you know, that blame can be shared, but just hasn't happened. Tyler Warden wants to know which 0-2 team will make the playoffs, which 2-0 team will miss the playoffs, but says the Bears don't count, and that was going to be my answer. So I didn't read the question fully. Uh, which 0-2 team? I've got mine if you want me to go. Yeah, please do. The Houston Texans. They started out 0-2, and yeah. I think that you can look at each one of their games and be like, oof, that's not good. But you lost to the Kansas City Chiefs and the Baltimore Ravens. <laughs> there are probably 29 other teams in the league with the Texans that can't beat those teams. Those are the top two. And for some reason, the NFL said, fuck you, Houston. Here, you can have them week one and week two. So I do think that the Texans starting out 0-2 uh, could be a little bit of an overreaction. I'm sure the fan base is starting to feel a little bit nervous. But I think you've lost to the two best teams in football, not just the AFC, the two best teams in football. So I do think this is a team that's starting out 0-2 could kind of start to run the schedule a little bit and still make the playoffs. As far as somebody that's you know, 2-0 and and probably not going to make the playoffs, the Bears seem to be the easy answer. It's got to be somebody in the NFC West, I would think. The Cardinals, the Rams, the Seahawks, I know that we love them, but that's such a great division that's going to beat the hell out of each other. So if I have to pick one of them, I'm going to say the Arizona Cardinals. I think that, you know, the Rams and the Seahawks, what they're doing is going to be very hard to beat. That's going to be a couple losses for the Cardinals, and they might miss out on the playoffs. Man, I don't so feel I great. Think, yeah. yeah Sorry, go I, ahead, Matt. I don't feel great about any of the 0-2 teams. If I had to pick one, I would say the Falcons, just because I, I, I feel like the South has been a little exposed. And we have to remember there's seven teams in each conference now. I don't feel good about any of those, though. Like, I... I don't want to pick, you know, the the Dolphins, the, uh, and even the Eagles. Like their offensive That's line is so beat up, and like Wentz has not been playing well. But I guess you could look at that and be like, ah, oh, maybe they could come back. The Vikings, Kirk Cousins is not playing well either. So like those would be the three teams where I think they have playoff talent. They just have to be completely different than how they've been so far. 
I think the Eagles have the experience where they could turn it around. And the offensive line is is very concerning. Carson Wentz has been very concerning. But I think they have the experience on the coaching staff and on the roster to turn it around. And that's a vision. I mean, you know, nobody's won two games in that division yet, which gives you a little bit of hope. As for the other side of it, you know, the 2-0 and team is kind of who they are, right? Like, you know, I just tip my cap to them. But I guess if I go by my preseason predictions, like I still am a little bit of a doubter of the Titans and Raiders. But I don't think the Titans, like, I don't know. Like that division's not any good. But if the Texans and Colts start to make a run, maybe the Titans fall a little bit. You know, the Raiders are in a very tough division if Justin Herbert is really going to play like this and you have the Kansas City Chiefs. But the point is the teams that are 2-0 and are, are in the driver's seat right now. Yeah, and as far as like a 2-0 team falling back, I'm with you, Melo. I think it's got to be one of those NFC West teams, like outside of the Bears, which I, I do believe they will come back down to earth. But the Raiders are another, like they're sneaky 2-0 right now. And that division's not great, but that I think that's that's one definitely worth watching. Uh, next question, Anthony Mangaluzzo, is Teddy B the future in Carolina or is he the bridge, smirking face, to the other side of the Lawrence River? The Panthers are 0-2. If they end up with the number one pick, they will draft Trevor Lawrence, and they will not think twice about it, period. It's like it's just like that. Now, I think they signed Teddy thinking he could be a, a short-term answer. Uh, he has not played well, and I'm a huge Teddy Bridgewater fan. He has not played that well. I think some of that is what's around him, completely new coaching staff, new system. It's tough to learn given the circumstances, but... If they have the number one pick, they will draft Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, I think it's going to be a long rebuild for them, too. But I do think that Teddy Bridgewater coming in there, they knew he was a guy that could start and run this offense. But he's also a guy who could probably tutor a young quarterback. Maybe even if you you know, you know win too many games and you can't get Trevor Lawrence, maybe you do get Justin Fields or you get Trey Lance and you say, all right, Teddy, you're going to start next year and you're going to tutor this guy year three. You're going to be the backup. And then you're good. So I don't think that he's the future, but I do think he's a guy that can be around there for a while and help with the rebuild, kind of be that, like you said, the bridge to maybe a Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Trey Lance type of quarterback. I don't think this team will be bad enough to get Trevor Lawrence. The question is, will they be bad enough to get Justin Fields or Trey Lance? And then you do have a situation where it kind of the story script writes itself, right? You look at it. Teddy's money is guaranteed next year. He's not going anywhere. Teddy's played this role before. He's he's a perfect pro where Teddy comes in and starts next year. And, and Justin Fields and Trey Lance or whoever it may be sits on the bench. So it, it kind of seems like I, I think Carolina is a pretty smart organization at this point where they knew, you know, what they were getting into this year, how they're positioning themselves. Let's call it what it is, guys. The team that picks number one is probably taking Trevor Lawrence and not mm -hmm. trading at it. Like people that are doing this whole like, hey, package it for a haul. Like you're not really thinking like the way the NFL does. The NFL is looking at Trevor Lawrence and going, well, we got our Andrew Luck. We got our like Peyton Man. You know what I mean? Like they're looking yeah. at it like this is the dude. You don't move from the pick. So I think for Carolina, this is just my personal beliefs. I just don't think they'll be bad enough to get that number one selection. Oh, yeah. I don't see anyone. Like, it takes two to tango. You could call and say, here's three first-round picks, and the whomever might speak. No, because next year's quarterback class is no guarantee you're going to have a Trevor Lawrence-type prospect. And, in fact, I don't think there will be. Uh, James Harris asked, who's the first coach to get fired in the NFL and when? I'm going to take Matt Patricia week seven. I don't know when their buy is, so maybe go off that, but I'm going to say week seven. Yeah, I think it's going to be pretty early. And I, I think the two guys that we mentioned earlier, Patricia and, and Adam Gase, I do think that with Gase, and maybe Connor, you can answer this better than me, that relationship with Joe Douglas is maybe going to get by him a little bit more time. So I do think that it's probably going to be Patricia. It just seems like they don't love him in that front office. And, and maybe a sneaky pick that I mentioned earlier, Dan Quinn. Like This, this offense looks great in Atlanta. He's supposed to be like the defensive guru. And your defenses look like trash the first two weeks of the season. So if they don't turn things around pretty quickly in a tough division, yeah, we could be looking at Dan Quinn. Yeah, Dan Quinn's a, it's a great one because he's just been on 
thin ice for a while now. Patricia, same thing. He's, I can't believe he was back this year. I don't think Gase gets fired in the middle of the season. I think they actually ride it out with him this year. The staff is not set up where, like, sure, Greg Williams has taken over before, right? He did it with the Browns. There's really no one on offense to even to even coach left. That's how Gase sets up an offensive staff. There's really no one there to even coach if he gets fired. So uh, when you look at it, you know, maybe Gase gets fired late in the year, but he, I would be very surprised if he was the first one. He's done more than enough to earn that. He should have been fired last year. But the thing is, I just don't think the ownership will do it. Yeah, I don't. Right now, I don't see any sneaky firings. Like, yeah, oh, I was th- looking for him too. I don't. I, I don't think Mike Zimmer. Like, even if things fall apart there, I don't think Mike Zimmer gets fired. Uh, Bill O'Brien. Yeah, that. I think that one's just deserved, probably at this point. So, like that. Yeah. Um. I, they also have not new ownership, but they have a new person leading that the team now. So that one, that one could definitely happen. Yeah, yeah, that, those are definitely good ones. Uh, all right, last question. Thomas Rollins, how long does the Cam Newton hype last? Can he last running the ball that many times? So I'm just going to be honest. I don't know. He looks very, very good. And, and I think the Patriots have done a good job of, you know, running a, a conservative offense while being aggressive on the ground game. Now, how long can he last running the ball this many times? Cam Newton is built like a tight end. So as long as like, you know, the things that we've seen in the past, like with the shoulder, things like that, as long as that can hold up, then I, I think you got to feel pretty good about it. Um, obviously, you know, last year he only played two games, so he should be pretty dang rested at this point. Um, and he's not getting hit behind the line of scrimmage a lot, which that's kind of what I worry about more with a quarterback like Cam Newton is how many times are you getting sacked or how many times are you getting hit behind the line of scrimmage where you can't necessarily brace for it as a runner. You know, he's 250 pounds. As a runner, he's inflicting as much damage as as he's taking. There have definitely been some hard hits. And I think we even saw against Seattle, they used him a little bit less as a runner. But I think, you know, barring something unforeseen, you know, like a, the shoulder injury recurring, I, I think you got to feel pretty good that it lasts all 16 games. Man, I know he hasn't played 16 games since 2017, but, you know, before that, he was doing it at a regular clip. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with him. And I know that, like, watching him run in week one, it felt like, man, this is the Dolphins. Uh, you can probably get away with that. And then week two, uh, real worried about him going up against Jamal Adams. Wasn't sure how that would work out, but he played very well and led some late drives, had them in that ball game. I do worry about him, like, that goal line package. How often are you going to do that? You did it three or four times. It seemed like the other night, I just don't know if this body at that age is going to be able to take that beating. I don't think that this can be sustained over the whole year. I don't know that we've ever seen an NFL offense do it. I do think that if there's a quarterback in the NFL that can, it's probably Cam Newton. 6'5", 245, he can take a beating. But I just don't know if I want my quarterback out there doing it. I think it was our buddy Adam Lefko that kind of started this discussion of, yeah. is this going to be a team that runs him out there for six to eight weeks and then uh, says, all right, we don't have any money tied up in you. That's what we're going to do. But it'll be interesting to see if Cam Newton can sustain the beating that he's taken and running this offense at the NFL level. And Connor, I don't know how you feel, but I I think it's more about like that the offensive style is not sustainable, not that Cam isn't. Because like everyone yeah. in the world knew what was happening at the goal line Sunday night. Yeah, I think it's it's tough, right? It really is. Now, I think New England has, you know, the dogs up front to to really punch you in the mouth. Now, not all the time. It finally caught up to them where Seattle partially guessed right, but did a great job of making a play. LJ Collier, of all people. I mean, they did a really, really good job. So, I mean, that was the play of his young career. I think with Cam, he does look fully healthy, where it's not even like a ticking time bomb thing. He, He just looks like old Cam. He really, really does. But I do wonder... You know, are they invested in him for the long term where they're going to pay him $30 million a year after this or whatever it may be? Now, can he last running the ball that many times? I don't think you want him doing that because we've seen how it works in the past, but they don't really seem to care. I mean, it's working. The connection with Edelman, is re- it was good to see that clicking in this game because they're going to need it to click down the stretch, right? You, you yep. can't just keep. You know, the run game's good, but you can't just keep doing it down the stretch. Teams will sell out to you eventually and challenge you to throw. And maybe that's what's in Bill's 
and Josh McDaniel's head right now. Maybe they're saying, hey, we want teams to watch our first couple weeks of film and completely sell out in the box against us, and then we're going to get this rocket of an arm going down the field. Now, that's going to take a big effort. For That's going to take a breakout effort from a guy like Nikhil Harry. It's going to take Edelman, you know, an older player. He's 34 years old to stay healthy and stay productive. So while the Patriots, it's been fun and Cam looks great. They, to me, are one of the most polarizing teams down the stretch of this season to see how long they can keep this going. But I'm a believer in Cam. I will absolutely say that. It's fun. Like, I agree. It is fun. And that game Sunday night, like, that felt like a playoff game. And I think that that's what makes it fun. Um, Jamal Adams is possessed right now, by the way. Like, he's playing so much harder, it seems like, now that he's in Seattle than he was last season with the Jets. And, like, I like that makes it fun, seeing guys, seeing that battle between Cam Newton and Jamal Adams. Like, that's that's what you want on Sunday Night Football. So, uh, hopefully that holds you over because the, the, the Thursday night game this week is absolutely Miami. terrible. Miami and Jacksonville. Do we yeah. even have to do a blind review? I don't, blind review, no one watched the game. That's it. Uh, okay, that's our show. We'll be back Friday morning, maybe with a blind review. We'll see if we can talk Mellow into it. Otherwise, you guys have a great week. We'll talk to you soon.